Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Again. Hello. Hopefully everybody's doing well. Yeah. Having a good week. We just got done doing an interview for our next episode, actually, which we will be bringing to you in a couple weeks. Yeah, get ready. So today we are bringing you the third UK serial killer. Yeah, here's part three. I don't even know if they're considered parts, but I mean, because mm. they're all independent of their own. You don't have to listen to the other ones to know what's going on. Same shit, different story. If you didn't listen to the other two, then you might not know. We got stuck down a rabbit hole and we ended up doing some research on three prolific serial killers that were operating in the UK in the Late 70s and early 80s. And they have nothing to do with the woods and hiking, so... And nothing to do with each other, either. They are all very different. But today, we are going back to Scotland. So, today, we are bringing you the serial killer, Robert Black. I will give you a trigger warning. This episode does include children. Yeah, sorry. Great. Sorry, guys. Put a damper on my morning. I did save this one for last because it disturbed me. So Robert Black was born on April 21, 1947. He was Scottish. He was born in Grangemouth, Stirlingshire. That's what I'm going with. Grangemouth, Stirlingshire. Maddie's going to look it up, though, so we don't embarrass ourselves. <laughs> yep, so it's Grangemouth. That's what we're going with. He was born illegitimate and his mother planned on giving him up for adoption bastard children unite but he was actually not adopted and at six months he was placed with a foster family so i don't know what happened but it didn't happen the way they had planned he turned out to be an antisocial kid and started bullying other kids at a relatively young age black was only five years old when him and another five-year-old girl Decided to do a little show and tell. Show me yours, I'll show you mine. This actually convinced Robert that he should have been born a female. Hmm, interesting. So, by the age of eight, he had started regularly inserting objects into his own anus, something that he continued to do into adulthood. It was also thought that his foster family physically abused him. I would say that... I believe that as well. That this is not things are not going well for him. Behavior already as a young child, like it's something's off. Yeah. By 1958, his foster parents were both dead, and I'm assuming they didn't die at the same time. No, I would assume just natural. He was placed with a new foster family, and he would soon commit his first sexual assault. So he drug a young girl into a public lavatory, so a bathroom, mm-hmm. and fondled her. Yep. I really don't like the word fondled. I really I know. am just not a... So 1958, this means that Robert Black is 11 years old when he does this. Yeah, that is... Concerning. Very concerning. Very, very, very concerning. So this incident was reported to police and the foster family demanded that he be removed from their home. And unfortunately, I feel like this is what happens with foster kids and different things like that is that 
Well, here's the thing. If this foster family has other children in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So, But what I don't understand is they want him to be removed, but why isn't he going to, like, a facility at this point? Why isn't he getting help at this point? Because it's not normal for 11-year-old boys to be dragging girls into bathrooms and fondling them. I know. Um, So after a few more... Don't worry. Don't worry. After a few more incidents, he was placed in the Red House care home. This was a high-discipline all-male establishment where he was abused by a male staff member for three years. Awesome. In 1963, he left the Red House and was moved to another boys' home in Greenwich, where he got a job as a butcher's delivery boy. So he claimed while making his deliveries, working this job, that he fondled more than 30 girls, but none of them ever reported anything. So we don't know if it's true or not. So in the summer of 1963, Black encountered a seven-year-old girl playing alone in the park. He lured her to a deserted air raid shelter on the pretext of showing her some kittens. You're a dick. You're a terrible fucking person. Once there, he strangled her until she lost consciousness, then masturbated over her body. Disgusting. The following day, he was arrested, so he was charged with lewd and lascivious behavior. He was examined by a psychiatrist, and it was determined that this was an isolated incident and that he was not likely to do it again. And as a result, the charges against him were dropped. And you guys, he would have been 15 or 16 at this time. Well, okay, so here's the thing that really bothers me. It's the strangulation. Like, that, to me, is very severe, I feel like you can't say this is an isolated incident. Oh, you have to put so much force to just even knock someone out, like, I know. like by strangulation. Well, I mean, she's like seven years old. You probably wouldn't need much force for a seven-year-old. Like, Still, what the fuck? I mean, he, he didn't kill her or something, but okay. like, this is not, no, wrong. So shortly after this, he moved to Grangemouth, where he stayed with an elderly couple and worked for a builder's supply company. He started dating a young woman he met at a local youth club. And this was his only known girlfriend. That's surprising for a serial killer, actually. They usually have multiple. They usually get married and all that jazz. Well, remember, he is already confused. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I heard. Okay. He actually asked her to marry him and was devastated when she ended the relationship instead dead i'm guessing that this was something that i'm guessing why this was devastating for him is because it was probably the first time he felt normal Uh in his life in 1966 his landlords found out that he had molested their nine-year-old granddaughter every single time that she came to visit why is he alone with this little girl i don't know not the point anyway now they evicted him but they did not call the police he lost his job and went to live with a married couple who had a six-year-old daughter fucking good oh my god seriously within a year his landlords called the police and said that he had been repeatedly molesting their daughter he pleaded guilty to three counts of indecent assault against a child and was sentenced to one year at borstals in brighton's And this establishment specialized in training and rehabilitation of serious youthful offenders. 
One year. One year. And this experience is the one thing that he would never talk about, but he vowed at this point to never be imprisoned again. So six months after his release, he relocated to London, where he found lodging in a bedside close to King's Cross Station. So he worked various side jobs, which one of these, which was a lifeguard at Hornsey Swimming Pool. Good. Let's go ahead and have you look after some children. Where, guess what? He was fired for fondling a young girl. No charges were ever brought against him, though. Seriously, I just feel like, they're, I mean, they're just piling up. Nobody's doing anything about it. So he met Edward and Kathy Rayson in 1972, and he moved into their attic. They said that they had no real issues with him except his hygiene, ew, and they said that they knew he watched porn. I seriously hope these people did not know he was watching child porn. Mm -hmm. In the mid-1970s, Black bought a white Fiat van, and he put black curtains up on his back windows. Somebody just, like, do something about this man now. He just bought a white van, and he put black curtains up to block the windows, you guys. Red flag. He doesn't live in this van. Red flag. Ugh. In 1976, he obtained a permanent job as a van driver for poster dispatch and storage. So they delivered posters, which were typically of pop stars and billboard advertisements. And he was happy to make the long drives that his co-workers did not want to make. He often changed his appearance. He would grow a beard. He would cut his hair. He would shave his head. He also owned over a dozen different pairs of glasses. You know, honestly, do not condone his actions. This man is disgusting. But the owning a dozen pair of glasses is such a smart thing because every serial killer, especially during this time period, owned the same goddamn pair of glasses. I know. And I feel like that's what got them caught. Or that's what made them suspicious. <laughs> yeah, is that the people recognize their glasses and I feel like like owning different glasses totally changes like the shape of your face and stuff. Well, he's also like changing his hair. He's making active changes to his appearance, which is a huge, huge red flag. Ugh. Okay. It actually gets worse from here, you guys. Believe it or not. On August 12th, 1981, nine-year-old Jennifer Cardi would go missing near her home in Ballandery. At 1.40, her mother said goodbye as she rode off on her bike. So she was heading to a friend's house, but she never even made it there. Hours later, her bike was found less than a mile from her home. And it was covered in branches and leaves and her kickstand was down, suggesting that she may have actually gotten off her bike for some reason and like parked it. Well, yeah, because if her bike was just dumped there, her kickstand probably wouldn't be down because you can't, at least back in the day, you can't ride your bike with a kickstand down. I'm I don't know if that's sure the case now. I don't know. <laughs> ride a bike with a kickstand. But two anglers would discover Jennifer's body in a reservoir near a lay-by in Hillsboro. What's a lay-by? A lay-by is like a part of the road that you pull off on. Oh, okay. Okay. We don't call them that here, you guys. Here, that's called a shoulder. <laughs> okay. Yes. She'd been sexually assaulted and her cause of death was thought to be drowning, but it was unclear if she'd been conscious when she went to the water or if she had been maybe strangled. I don't know. Who knows? Uh. Um... But the watch she was wearing had stopped at 5.40 p.m. 
Right. And I'm assuming that's because of the water damage, mm-hmm. uh, which means, I mean, she went missing at 140 and her watch stops at 540. Now that's not to say that she died at 540. She could have died long before then, but it's just, it's harder to know that when you were looking for that person that they were already dead. I, I, it's hard either way. I mean, this is just awful. I literally can't imagine. So on July 30, 1982, 11-year-old Susan Maxwell would go missing. She lived in Cornhill on Tweed, and this was about six hours from where Jennifer Cardi had gone missing. That's a pretty long drive, though. If you're thinking, are these cases connected? So they're not, they're not going to connect these right away, did they? They didn't. They do not. No. Nope. Okay. I wouldn't think so. So she was walking home from playing tennis in Coldstream. The friend she had been playing with actually offered her a ride home like their parents did, but she wanted to walk, and it was only a half mile from her house. She was last seen crossing the bridge over the River Tweed at 4.30 p.m. Now, this is on the border of Scotland and England, so we're dealing with multiple jurisdictions again. The following day, an intense search was mounted, and it included search dogs and over 300 officers. And several people reported seeing a white van in the area, and one report said that it was parked in a field. On August 12, her body was found by a lorry driver. Her body was missing her shoes and her underwear. She had been bound and gagged with sticking plastic, which I think is like a type of tape. They ended up finding her underwear folded underneath her head, which is such a weird thing to do. Which I don't like. This was about 200 miles south of where she had last been seen, and her cause of death would remain unknown. According to Black's delivery schedule, she would have had to remain in his van for over 24 hours. Whether she was alive or dead during this time, we do not know. Fuck. I know. Okay, so on July 8th, 1983, five-year-old... Oh, you're kidding. I know. Five-year-old Caroline Hogg disappeared while playing outside of her Beach Lane home in the Edinburgh suburb of Portobello. She had been at school party and was still wearing her party dress. And this is about five hours from where Jennifer Cardi went missing and about an hour from where Susan Maxwell went missing. A witness had seen her talking to a man on a nearby promenade. He was described as unkept, balding, and... Furtive. Furtive looking? What does furtive mean? Furtive is like trying to avoid getting noticed or drawing attention. He was wearing horn-rimmed glasses. He had been seen watching Caroline and following her in the direction of a nearby fairground. A 14-year-old witness said that he had seen the two sitting on a bench... And this witness overheard Caroline say yes, please, to a question before getting up and leaving, holding his hand. Uh, He paid 15 pence for her to ride the carousel. Uh, Over 2,000 local volunteers and 50 members of the Royal Scouts searched for Caroline. Uh, Now, a couple of things that we will find out later, but I'm going to clarify them now. Police don't actually believe that she was at the promenade that day. One, it was never Black's M.O. to interact with the public or to interact in public with his victims. 
Police later became convinced that he had most likely snatched her from the road and that the eyewitness accounts were actually somebody else, like a young girl and a man together at this fair. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know about this, but if she was killed by Black, I don't think he would have gone to the fair with her. I think he would have snatched her off the road like the rest of his victims. Yeah, who knows? They did discover in their searching and interviewing that a lot of sex offenders spent time at Portobello Beach. So this is disturbing. They found that they would come from all over to watch children play there because there was a lot of shallow area and a lot of children would play mostly unsupervised. Police said that they had no idea, but they found at least a dozen pedophiles who visited the beach on a regular basis. So this is them starting to do searches, find out who was there, doing background checks, doing all of these things, and discover that there's about 12 pedophiles that are regularly hanging out at this beach. Gross. Isn't that so disturbing? I always think about that when I'm in public. I'm like, mm, there yeah. can be creeps everywhere. Yeah, it's super disturbing. I actually heard an interview from policeman. They're not called that there, though. Constable? I don't remember what they're called. I actually heard an interview from somebody who worked on this case, and he said that they were shocked when they started discovering all of these pedophiles hanging out at this beach, which is near Caroline's house. Okay, on July 18th, Caroline's naked body was found in a ditch close to the M1 motorway, which was 310 miles from where she was abducted and 24 miles from where Susan Maxwell's body was found, and Caroline's cause of death was unknown. Right, so you can start to see how they would easily connect Susan Maxwell and Caroline because they're a lot closer, right, than mm -hmm. the other one, Jennifer Cardi. So Jennifer Cardi is quite a ways away, but I think with how far these bodies are ending up from where... From where they're found. From where they were abducted is should be a clue, I think, to police that maybe this guy is driving a lot. Yeah. So maybe they'll connect the other murders. Yep. So, like in many cases, a task force is created. And it is determined that Caroline and Susan's murders were connected. But Jennifer's murder would not be connected until 2009. Dang. 2009. And remember, it is like, what, five hours away. They surmised that the killer was probably a delivery or long-distance driver. And both girls had been wearing white ankle socks, and they thought that this might be a fetish or a trigger for the killer. They believed that he was an opportunist, so basically just driving around looking for children alone. Yeah. Which, those two things don't really go hand in hand to me. Like, either no. he had a fetish for this type, or he was an opportunist. I think he was an opportunist. All of the information was logged within a card filing system, which contained 500,000 index cards relating to the Maxwell case alone. So this is before there's like a national database. Mm -hmm. Due to the difficulties that they had had with the Yorkshire Ripper case, because of the overwhelming amount of information, the lead investigator, Hector Clark, decided that he was going to introduce computer technology to this case. Whoa. I know. And by January of 1987, all information on the two cases was entered into the HOMES system, which stands for Home Office Major Inquiry System. 
Which is good, right? This could potentially help them link cases faster. Yes. But Jenny still didn't get linked until 2009. Yeah, way later. On March 26, 1986, 10-year-old Sarah Harper would go missing. Around 7.50, she left her home to buy a loaf of bread. Uh. So this store was about 100 yards. Yes. 100 yards from her front door in Brunswick Place. Right, which is about five hours from Jennifer Cardi. It's about an hour from Susan Maxwell and only 12 minutes from Carolyn Hogg. So the clerk confirmed that Sarah had bought the loaf of bread along with two packs of crisps at 7.55. I don't know what crisps are. But... Chips. Oh, okay. They call them crisps. They do? Huh. Yeah, and they call fries chips. Oh, okay, interesting. You guys are weird. We're the weird ones. I know. I'm aware. We're the weird ones. It's not them. It's us. The clerk had said that a balding man briefly entered the shop but left while Sarah was making her purchases. She was last seen by two girls walking into an alley leading towards her home. When she didn't come back by 8.20, her mom and younger sister searched briefly before calling the police. So an extensive search immediately launched, which this is really fast. Yeah. So over 100 police officers were assigned full-time to the case, and over 3,000 properties were searched and more than 10,000 leaflets distributed and 1,400 witness statements obtained. Also, 200 local volunteers joined in on the search. Yep. So a white Ford Transit van had been seen in the area. Surprise, surprise. Mm Mm-hmm. And two men loitering along her route had been seen, one of them in which was balding. On April 3rd, Sarah's mom, Jackie, made a plea to the media. She said that she feared that her daughter was dead, but Uh. begged the killer to tell them where she was. She said that she wanted her home and to pick up the phone and tell them where her body was. Oh my god, I can't. April 19th, a man discovered Sarah's partially nude body floating in the river Trent near Nottingham, about 71 miles from the site of her abduction. She had been bound and most likely died between five and eight hours after she disappeared. She had drowned. So here's a, this one, this is going to be rough. If you're eating, if you're sensitive, I don't know. Trigger Plug warning, your ears. fast forward, yeah. So she had been the victim of a violent and sustained sexual assault that actually caused pre-mortem internal injuries. Without going into any details, because I don't think we need to say more than that, it was extreme compared to the other girls. So this had police wondering if it was the same suspect, the same uh, offender. And then days later, a witness contacted police to say that he had seen a white van with a stocky, balding man standing near the passenger door. And it was parked close to the river shore, which flows into the tramp where Sarah's body was found. And remember, if she did drown, she could have possibly still been alive at that point. So initially, police did not believe that Sarah was connected. Her abduction was different. And the additional trauma added to their skepticism. So Sarah had been abducted on a rainy Wednesday evening and was wearing a hooded anorak covering much of her face 
where the other two had been abducted on a weekend afternoon wearing summer clothes. He's an opportunist. Exactly. He's not looking for a certain type. We've already got 5 versus 11. That's a pretty big age gap. Uh Uh-huh. So now we have, of these five cases, only two of them have been officially connected. Yeah. So now there are six police forces involved in this manhunt. That's a lot with this technology because we're in the, what, the 80s now? Mm Mm-hmm. And they had Hector Clark maintaining overall command of the entire investigation. Okay. So he was like the guy. Top dog. Yep, that everybody else was coming to. Okay. On April 21st, 1986, the head of Scotland Yard's criminal intelligence branch hosted a summit meeting at Scotland Yard to discuss how to share information between forces and potential links with 19 other unsolved child murders. Yeah, so basically they're coming together and they're like, okay, we need to figure out how we're going to communicate and get this information to each other as quickly as possible. Yeah, and get this fucking psychopath. And also, side note, are these 19 unsolved child murders, are any of them connected? Yeah. So one thing that came from this meeting was that they decided to contact the FBI and request a psychological profile of the murderer, which is genius. Except for the FBI would not complete this profile until 1988. Thanks, FBI. Two years is a long time. Yeah. They also decided to focus on suspects with serious sexual offenses against children in the last 10 years. Yeah, and this would turn out to be a huge mistake, you guys, because Black's name would not be on that list because his sole conviction had been in 1967. So he is way off of the 10-year mark. Yeah. But... If he had been convicted of everything he had actually done, he probably would have made it on this list because there's all the unreported stuff. Yeah. Ugh. So what they did have was 40,000 men to investigate. My God, that's so disgusting. When the FBI profile came back, it said that the killer would be a white male between 30 and 40, likely closer to 40, who was a classic loner and would be unkept in appearance and had received less than 12 years of education. He likely lived alone in rented accommodations in a lower middle-class neighborhood. The profile also deduced that the motive was sexual and that the offender likely had a fixation with child pornography. That he retained souvenirs from his victims and likely engaged in necrophilia with his victim's body shortly after their deaths. So, I mean, obviously some of this is right, some of it is not. However... I also feel like this is a pretty average description of a lot of child killers that we have seen. On April 23, 1988, 15-year-old Teresa Thornhill, who, by the way, was only 4'11". Yeah, so if you're thinking, oh, 15's a little old for him. She may have looked a lot younger than 15. Yeah. She was on her way home from a social gathering at a local park with her boyfriend. Andrew Beeston. The pair parted ways at the end of Norton Street. As Teresa walked, a blue transit van was slowing ahead of her and came to a stop. The driver got out of the van and raised the van's bonnet. The man asked her if she knew how to fix engines. She said no and quickened her pace. Run. Exactly. As she passed him, he put one arm over her mouth and the other around her stomach and started dragging her back to the van. She started kicking and fighting and actually grabbed his testicles 
forcing his grip to loosen enough that she was able to bite him. He screamed, oh, you bitch. She started screaming for her mom and continued fighting while he was trying to force her into the van. At this point, her boyfriend had heard her screaming and was running back in the direction while yelling, let go of her, you fat bastard. That I don't know why that makes me laugh, but Black dropped her and ran to the front seat of his van and took off. Now, Teresa and her boyfriend ran to her parents' home where they called police. Teresa had said it was like trying to get out of an aggressive bear hug. She described her attacker as unkept, overweight, balding, and heavily built man between 40 and 50, and about 5'7". Now, this happened in the Nottingham district of Radford, and police there didn't think it was related and did not report it to the other agencies, even though the chief constables across the UK had been requested to report incidents of this nature to the inquiry team in charge of the child killing investigation. So remember, they all got together and said, how do we deal with this? They requested that all agencies report any activity like this, abductions, missing, kidnapping, anything. Yeah. But because she was 15, the van is blue and not white. They did not report it. Changed his van color or the lighting could have been. I think he, he actually painted it. This occurred about five hours from the last abduction. So getting to that five-hour mark again. So if you remember, the first murder, Jenny, is not connected to these other murders because it's five hours away. So now we're back at that five-hour mark again, and it doesn't make it onto the radar. Yeah. So on July 14th, 1990, David Herks, who is a 53-year-old retired postman, was outside mowing his lawn when he saw a blue transit van slow to a standstill across the road from him. He got out and cleaned his windshield. Fucking weird thing to do. And buy people's houses. Don't. What are you doing? Yeah. Stop. Yeah, exactly. Just then, the six-year-old daughter of his neighbor, who was a police officer, passed his field of view. She was walking home from school for lunch. David stopped mowing in order to clear some grass from his lawnmower when he glanced back and saw the little girl's feet lift off the ground on the other side of the van. He stood up straight, looked at the driver who hastily pushed something through the passenger door before going around to the driver's side and starting up the car. He notes the license plate as the van speeds away and he noted it correctly too. Which is very rare. He ran to call the police and the little girl, the little girl's Holy shit, the little girl's father is actually the one who took the call. Yep. Can you even imagine? No. Nope. Within minutes, six police officers had showed up, and as David was describing the van and the man driving it, he looked up and yelled, that's him, that's the same van, and the van was driving toward them. Her dad jumped in front of the van, forcing it to stop. The driver was pulled out and handcuffed. Her father opened the rear doors and saw a bag lying inside the van. He climbed into the van and opened the bag to find his little girl tied up with a bag cinched over her head and her hands tied behind her back and her feet tied together. She had sticking plaster over her mouth, but she was alive. But she had already been sexually assaulted. Fuck. Fuck. So this is basically what happened. The road that he's on, which he might not know because he's not familiar with this area, 
As you drive down, it actually turns into a dead end, which would have forced him to come back the way he had gone. So ideally, you're not going to drive by the spot that you just abducted somebody, especially with a witness nearby. But he drove away. He actually pulled off, sexually assaulted her, and then got back in the van, discovered he was at a dead end, and had to drive back the way he came, which is just fucking lucky. Yes, seriously. On the way to the police station, Black said, It was a rush of blood to the head. I have always liked little girls since I was a lad. I tied her up because I wanted to keep her until I had dropped off a parcel, and then I was going to let her go. Sure you were. Sure you were. No. And the little girl was able to pinpoint the lay-by the Black had assaulted her in. Can you imagine being this dad no like i literally cannot imagine being this dad one he didn't fucking kill him right then and there yeah from what i heard he described it as like an out of body like shock experience and is so grateful that he wasn't thinking clearly during this time because he would have killed him he would have killed him yep so He did admit to assaulting her and said that he hadn't done more to her because he didn't have much time. You're an asshole. Yeah, he had a delivery to make. Fuck. Due to how she was found, it was thought that maybe the other girls may have suffocated in that same bag since they had substantial drives before they were dumped. Right. So the thought was that they drown or there wasn't a cause of death like we really didn't know but after seeing how this girl was tied and bound they said that she wouldn't have survived more than a couple hours in that bag in that bag with her mouth taped shut so he was charged with abduction and remanded in custody on the 16th of july clark traveled from wakefield to interview black his answers were mostly monosyllabic But Clark was certain he had his guy. What the fuck does that word mean? Monosyllabic? So, like, one word, like, short, like, no, yes. Okay, Mm, that makes sense. That kind of stuff. I get it. Sorry, I'm just asking the questions for all the uh, not-readers that listen to this podcast (laughs) because I know there has to be more of me because... And the, the funniest part is that I'm not even, like, dumb or anything like that. She's really not. It, it, I think it really is the difference between extensively reading your entire life and not because a lot of words aren't used. I even use bigger words than any of my friends. But words like this aren't used in normal conversation. Right. So No, but like my everyday vocabulary has larger words than my friends. Right. Funny. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I'm not even stupid. And I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, Please don't you think- say Madison is dumber than a bag of hammers. <laughs> So they searched his van and found restraint devices, including ropes, sticking plaster, and hoods. Cool. They also found a Polaroid camera, numerous articles of girls' clothing, Mm. a mattress, and a selection of sexual aids. Which I'm assuming are like sex toys. I guess. We call them sex toys here. I don't know. So Black claimed that while he was on the road, he would pull into laybys, so shoulders, and dress up in the clothing and masturbate. 
So he's trying to explain the children's clothing that he has in his car. And he's... Oh. And this asshole is trying to say that he uses it to dress up in and that he didn't take it from children. Like, he didn't steal this clothing. Okay, so I'm not doubting the dressing up in the clothing and masturbating. That, it seems, right up how his would fucking he even, weirdo-ass alley. How would he even fit in the clothes? Dude, I don't know. So his apartment was checked by the Metropolitan Police, and they found a collection of child pornography magazines. I'm sorry, magazines? Uh, that's what it said, and I was like, wait, there's child pornography magazines? I sure as fuck hope not. Like, he made his own child pornography magazine? Or bought them. I don't know. But where the fuck are you buying child porn? I don't porn? know. Like, I don't know. Magazine. And this Did is, someone else make the magazine, maybe? I don't know. This is back in the 80s. I don't know what child porn okay, looked yeah. like at any point. Right. So, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Also, books. So, child porn books. I don't fucking... Okay. Yeah. Child pornography. Lots of photographs and video format of child pornography, including... 58 videos and films depicting graphic child sexual abuse. They found they also found more children's clothing and this is th- this is disgusting. They found a semen stained copy of the Nottingham newspaper detailing the 1988 attempted abduction of Teresa Thornhill. So he had actually masturbated into the newspaper that had her abduction story in it. You're disgusting. On August 10, 1990, Black was tried for the abduction and sexual assault of the last victim. In his opening statement, Kerrigan stated his client would plead guilty to all charges. The Lord Advocate of Scotland, Lord Fraser, then outlined the facts of the case. Terming the implements found in Black's van a clear sign of premeditation and citing a medical expert's testimony that the girl would likely have suffocated within 15 minutes had she not been rescued. 15 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah. So during a six-hour interview, Black admitted to being attracted to young children and sexually assaulted in excess of 30 young girls between the 1960s and the 1980s. He talked about wearing children's clothing. He was uncommunicative when asked questions about the child murders so basically he's like automatically like shuts down well he's automatically like yeah i sexually assaulted some people yeah you know but he's not willing to talk about the murders so he said that he had lured two young girls into his van under the pretext of needing directions run away run away okay back to the next thing and this was in 1985, but he allowed them to leave when eyewitnesses appeared. However, he did not admit to the murders. Yeah, so, I mean, he's, like, given up stuff that they don't even know about. Maybe in hopes that they'll believe him that he didn't murder anyone. Yeah. I don't uh, know. So, now the police had to find a way to link Black to the murders. So, they set about collecting his travel schedules for work. They got all of his petrol receipts. He always used credit cards and turned them in in order to get reimbursed. And they found that he had bought fuel near each abduction on the day that the girls were abducted. Boom. On the day that Sarah Harper was abducted, he had been scheduled to make a series of deliveries across the Midlands and North England. His final two deliveries had been in West Yorkshire, one in Brighouse, 
and the last one in Morley, which is 150 yards from Harper's home. Yards. Yards. And he had refueled between the two locations shortly before Sarah had last been seen. And it was a similar story for the other abductions. He had purchased gas just before or just after. But really, that was all they had. There was no forensic evidence tying him to the murders. So the case will be mostly circumstantial. In March of 1992, the Crown decided that the evidence was sufficient to try Black. This would be for the sexual assault and murder of Susan Maxwell, Caroline Hogg, and Sarah Harper. Because remember, Jennifer Cardi isn't connected until like 2008 or something, so like way later on. Black's attorney attempted to have each murder tried separately, which would make it harder to prove without the modus operandi of all of them. The judge denied this request. So it's really a good thing that the judge did not allow them to be separated because if you are thinking about a purely circumstantial case, if you just have Carolyn or you just have Susan or you just have Sarah and this man happened to buy gas. When it's near presented them. as one by itself, right? I it's don't think it's enough to, to get them tried. Yep. But you do it every single one of these, which that I and, think is a great case, actually. And, like better. And he was caught red-handed on the last one. Yeah. On May 19, 1994, he was convicted of the kidnapping, rape, and murders of all three girls and preventing the lawful burial of a body, plus the attempted abduction on Teresa Thornhill. He was sentenced to life in prison with a recommended non-parole period of 35 years for each count, and they were to be served concurrently, which is so frustrating. Concurrently? Means he can serve them all at the same time. Stupid. So that means in 35 years, he could be paroled. Fuck you. Black remained silent and expressionless, but as he was led out of the courtroom, he turned to the detectives from the various agencies that had been working on the case since 1982, more than a decade, and said, tremendous, well done, boys. <laughs> and at this statement, several of them began to weep. And he actually seemed sincere. Like, good job, guys. You got me. Like, way to go. Yeah, he probably would have kept killing until he... 100%. Until he's caught. It sounds like an impulse that he couldn't even control. Ugh. Not saying that that's any type of excuse no, for sick. anything. Seriously. So he was later convicted of the 1981 sexual assault and murder of nine-year-old Jennifer Cardi. So he appealed... And it was denied. Shocking. So, and then in 1995, he was attacked in prison by two fellow inmates who threw boiling water mixed with sugar all over him, bludgeoned him with a table leg, and stabbed him in the back and the neck with a shiv. Don't worry, though. He did live through this why, whole thing. Why did they mix the burning water with sugar? Um, To make it sticky? He never confessed to the crimes... The closest he ever came was in 1994, shortly before his trial, when he was asked why he never denied any of the charges against him. And he responded with, because I couldn't. And here's the thing. This doesn't bother me because he was fucking caught red-handed. You know, sometimes when criminals go like their entire lives never admitting to their crimes, 
especially in circumstantial cases, I'm always like, it bothers me. Like, I want them to say they did it. It doesn't bother me in this case. He is also suspected of being responsible for several other unsolved child abductions in the 1980s. Which I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he committed. Nope. One of them is the 1978 disappearance of 13-year-old Jeanette Tate, which I'm assuming was a big case, but I've never heard of it. They believed he could be linked to 14 further murders and disappearances across the UK that were committed between 1969 and 1989. Which I would not be surprised by at all. So we have the United Kingdom. On April 8, 1969, April Fab, who was 13, was last seen cycling. Her bicycle was found in a field on the route she had taken, but her body was never found. On May 21, 1973, Christine Markham, who was nine, she was last seen walking home from school. Her body also has never been found. Black was actually questioned about potential involvement in her abduction in 2004. So he was actually questioned for her on her case. Yeah. Which, yeah. of course, he denied. Naturally. Jeanette Tate, the case we were talking about before, Black was actually facing formal charges pertaining to Tate's abduction and murder while in prison. So hers was on August 19, 1978. She was 13 and she was abducted while delivering newspapers. Her bicycle was found in a country lane by two girls she had spoken to minutes before, but her body was never found. Black made numerous deliveries of posters to this area. And like I said, he was actually in the process of being charged with this crime. So they must have had good evidence that he was connected to this. What I do find weird about these ones, though, is no bodies are being found. And he has not made it a point to hide any. Yeah. But he is obviously believed to be connected to Jeanette Tate's murder, even though her body was never found. Maybe he just, like, accidentally dumped it pretty good. Maybe. I don't know. And then we have Suzanne Lawrence, who disappeared July 28 of 1979 and was 14. She was last seen leaving her sister's home in Harold Hill, which is in northern London. Although her body was never found, Lawrence's name was added to the list of Black's possible victims in July of 1994. Her case has also been linked, possibly, to Peter Tobin. On June 16 of 1980, Patricia Morris, who was 14, disappeared from the grounds of her comprehensive school. Her fully clothed body was found in Hunslow, Heath, two days after her disappearance. She had been strangled with a ligature, but had not been raped. I don't buy that he could be responsible for this one. And actually, Levi Belfield has claimed to have murdered Morris, but he was barely 12 years old at the time of her death, and police doubt that he is actually responsible. But I don't see this as being a Black's murder either. Yeah, who knows? Then we have Pamela Hasty, who was 16, and on November 4, 1981, her bludgeoned and strangled body was found. Also, don't really see this fitting either, um, but one eyewitness was adamant that he had seen a man matching Black's description running from the crime scene, which we don't really see Black doing. He's kind of a dump and leave. But police could not link him to this location at the time. So even they are skeptical that he could be responsible. Then we have Ireland. And 
In March of 1997, Mary Boyle, who was six years old, uh, she disappeared while visiting her grandparents in Ballyshannon. Black is known to have been in this area at the time of her disappearance. He was actually charged with after-hours drinking. One eyewitness report states that she heard whimpering sounds emanating from his van parked outside of the Dunglow pub on this date. Her body has never been found. So he's at least in the area for that one. On June 20, 1985, Silk Garbin, who disappeared on her way to a dental appointment, her body was found in a stream close to the British Army base near her home the day after her disappearance. Garbin had been violently sexually assaulted and strangled. Although she died of drowning, Black is known to have made a delivery of posters to this British army base on the date of her disappearance. So he's definitely responsible for that one. I would say he's definitely responsible for that one. On May 11, 1989, Ramona Hurling, who's 11, was last seen walking to a swimming complex just 500 yards from her home in the town of Bad Driburg. Bad Driburg? Yeah. Her body has never been found. We have one in the Netherlands. And this was on August 5, 1986. Cheryl Morian. I know that's not how you say it because there's a bunch of squigglies over her last name. But she was seven and she disappeared while walking to her friend's home in Dutch City. Her body has never been found. Black made regular trips to nearby Amsterdam to buy child pornography. And he is considered a strong suspect in her case. Dude, how are there so many of these? We're almost done. France, <laughs> France, May 5, 1987. Virginie Delmas, who is 10, was abducted. Her nude body was found on the 9th of October and her clothes folded beside her. She had been strangled, but the extent of her decomposition prevented a pathologist from determining whether or not she had been raped before her death. I think if her clothes are folded next to her body, there's a good chance. Black is known to have made several deliveries in the area, in and around Paris, on the date of her disappearance. May 30, 1987, Hema Reedharry, who is 10, was abducted, and her body was discovered in a parking lot two hours after she was last seen walking home from a downtown bookstore. She had been raped and strangled, and her body set alight. Black is known to have regularly traveled upon the road where her body was found when making deliveries in northern France. The ammo is definitely different on that one. On June 3, 1987, Perrine Vignorian, who is seven, disappeared on her way to buy a Mother's Day card in Bullers en route to attending a pottery course. Her strangled body was discovered in a repeased field in Shellis on the 27th of June. Her clothes were folded neatly beside her. A white van had been seen in Bolaris on the day of her disappearance. So that's two with their clothes neatly folded next to them. And the only other case that he did that in was the underwear underneath the head. So it's a little different, but it could be a time thing. Like maybe he felt like he had more time. I mean, I don't really know. I don't know. On June 27, 1987, Sabrina Dumont, who is nine, a Paris schoolgirl, 
was last seen alive walking home from a bookstore. She was strangled and sexually assaulted, and her body was found the following day in a commune of Vahalan. Black was named as a prime suspect in her murder in 2011. Wow. Um, so if you don't just want to die after listening to all of these girls that... Fuck. That uh, was rough. Yeah, that was, that was rough. But Black did die in prison of a heart attack in 2016 at the age of 68. He was cremated, but no family or friends showed up and his ashes were spread at sea. He doesn't deserve to have his ashes spread fucking anywhere. I agree with that, actually. Roam in the trash. I would also say that he is probably responsible for at least half of those murders. Oh, definitely. I would assume that he might be responsible for those and more we don't even fucking know about. Well, and not only that, but that we're just talking about murder. Like, if you look at all sexual assault cases, there oh my are God, probably, it's probably astronomical. So many more he's responsible so for. So many. Oh. Okay, we're going to click over to Bunker Talk to talk that out a little bit but thank you guys so much for tuning in we will be back with you with a normal lost in the woods episode yes uh go follow our social media if you don't right now yeah we're lost on in the instagram we're on facebook you can go find us there um, those are really the only two places we interact if you find us anywhere else we're probably not interacting oh and if you want to see our trip we are leaving on thursday for our trip to cover a case if you want to see all the footage on that and the video interview and all of that fun stuff, it's all going to be on Patreon. We will have the case on our normal. Yes. And we will talk about it and you'll hear some of the interview, but for the full interview and all the bonus material, that's going to be on Patreon. So that's on our $10 Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, we have a couple new ones. We have Arian, Aaron Smith. Hi, Aaron. Welcome to Patreon. And Morgan Crampton. Hi, Morgan. Welcome to Patreon. Breeze right now. Go listen to the hiking. Is the hiking with Hannah going to be out by the time of this episode? Uh, I No, it's about to come out. Okay. So there's a hiking with Hannah that's going to come out. Go listen <laughs> so to that because though. that was fucking hilarious. We talked about Hannah running our social media in that, I believe. I think we did. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I, I remember... Maybe it wasn't. No, I don't know. Never mind. Don't take my word for it. Maybe it's in there. Go listen to it anyway, but <laughs> it may or may not be in there. I don't know the answer to that We question. did almost kill Hannah again. So there's some propelling. There's a rope. There's caves. There's rocks. There's two falls. Two injuries. Two separate injuries. And Maddie and I are not either of them. No, I am not an injury. So go check that out. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Also, um, we are definitely looking for researchers. So if you are interested yes. in researching for us, it's kind of an unpaid position right now, but we are looking to pay somebody in the near future. So anybody who is interested in researching for us wants to submit some research papers, let us know um, and we can send you all the information about it. So... Maddie's tired of me complaining about her not helping. <laughs> yes, I am. And I am useless and my mom needs help and I literally physically, humanly cannot do it and it is awful and I feel terrible about the person that I am and the fact that it doesn't work. 
but don't worry. I bought my mother an expensive hotel room when we when we go on our little trip. <laughs> it's on the beach. Oh. Yeah, so go ahead and listen to the end if you want to hear Maddie and I both cry because we do. My God, please, you're going to put that in? I'll put it at the end, though. If you edit that, you're going to cry when you edit it, too. I know. Fuck. So, yeah, it's been a week. But come and check out our Patreon. There's a ton of bonus episodes on there. Come and check out us on social media. And, yeah, just say hi. All right. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening. Um, We really appreciate it. You guys are the best. Thank you. All right. Bye, guys. And Mystic is useless. He's fucking useless. He's fucking useless. I think he's actually scared of them. My fucking chocolate Pop Tart. Doesn't even give me love and affection. He ate my Pop-Tart and got off my bed and left my room. So Maddie and I are having a little bit of trouble right now. So we lost our baby. We lost our dear cat, Delilah, which is just awful. And we are traumatized and we are so, so upset about it. And if you have listened to our podcast at all, you might know that we are babysitting my grandpa's cat, Mystic. Now, Mystic is kind of a dick. He's just... No, he's a dick. Maddie can say whatever she wants. She's trying to be nice. He's a cat who's, he's like seven. He's never, he's only lived with one old man his entire life. Pretty sure he got stepped on his whole life. Like, he just doesn't, he's a scared. He's scared he just for like, his life he just like, all the time. He just like lurks around the house. And he doesn't really interact. Yeah. <laughs> we We think he's very judgmental. But. I feel like he judges my mom for drinking. <laughs> I feel like he judges me for everything. So he just has like this look. He's a beautiful cat. He's kind of creepy, but he's got He looks this like look. a bad t- taxidermy cat. Like he honestly yeah, does. Yeah. I paid $70 for a vet to professionally tell me that his he was just unproportional and that's why he, he has like really that. yeah, he has really long legs. Like his back longer. legs are too long yeah. for his body. So he, he kind of looks like he he kind of looks like he might be like half mancoon. Anyway, like a gargoyle mancoon. Like he literally when he eats, he looks like a gargoyle. Like he's hunched over. So like I've that. always just kind of ignored mystic because delilah was my lap cat she would always be on my lap and they fought they didn't get along super well so he just left me alone like he wouldn't go into my room like he just kind of left me alone well now he's been following me around the house and i'm like being kind of mean to him and maddie's like mom you need to love him it'll make you feel better and i'm like i don't want to (laughs) so we've been (laughs) we've been going back and forth um Trying to like not hate Mystic. He ate my Pop Tart last night. Yeah, he he was eating Maddie's chocolate Pop Tart, which is like the most personality we've ever seen him uh, exhibit. He won't play with toys either. I have a whole box of cat toys. What the fuck am I supposed to do with them? I know. We're really, really struggling. So it's kind of one of those things where we don't really know. It like kind of shook our like belief system that people or things can't just take something away from you that belongs to you. And so we're kind of struggling with that a little bit. But I'm trying to be nice to Mystic. I'm, I'm gonna trying. kill every coyote. I'm going coyote hunting and I'm going to murder them all. Yeah, it was definitely... All my friends said we can go hunting through the woods and we can go kill all the coyotes. Good. It was definitely a coyote situation, which we live in an area where there's coyotes and we've always known this and they've always been around and we debated allowing Delilah to be an outdoor cat because we're scared of the coyotes and you know she's almost a year or was 
almost a year and she loved being outside and she loved hunting. So we decided that we were going to let her be outside and it is what it is, you know, and we know what happened and that's almost worse. Um, and we'll spare the details of that, but it's seriously like hug your cats. (laughs) I'm going to have to cut this out of the podcast. (laughs) We are going to pull our shit together. It's still raw. It's still raw. It's been, what, Tuesday? It hasn't been a week. It happened on Tuesday. It's only Sunday. We We didn't even find it. We found it on Wednesday. So we've only known for a few days, really. So, you know, we're just going to grieve quietly to ourselves for as long as we need. But you will not be seeing pictures of Delilah on our social media anymore. I'm going to I'm going to post some pictures of Mystic for you guys now instead. Except for he won't be on my lap or my laptop because he hates me. <laughs> and he judges me. <laughs> I have to answer Chloe's face. Okay. Call. Hello? Oh, are you are you filming? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to see if you want to go to the cat cafe. Ooh. Come Maybe you later with me hang out just can make us hella good food today. Okay. I'll let you know when we're done recording. We're recording an episode yeah. right now. Hi, Angie. Hi. Hi. Future, future me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love you. I love you. Love you. I will. Bye. They also found more sexual AIDS. Whatever the fuck. Sex AIDS. I think when you say sexual AIDS, it sounds more like a disease. Sex AIDS? Yeah. Whatever. Like, I don't fucking know. Whatever it is, there were more of them. Let us More know. More of it. And and know. let us know in a non-gross way, please. I don't please, know. Please, for God's sake. If I, if, <laughs> if someone is creepy after this episode... Don't be creepy. Don't be I'm creepy. literally going to end my life. I swear <laughs> to God. I'm done. I'm quitting the podcast if someone sends us a freaking unsolicited picture after this. Yeah, you guys, we also don't want dick pics. Please, for God's yeah. sake, please stop sending us in- inappropriate photos. We don't want them. For God's sake. <laughs> by the way. I plead. By the I'm way, the one that opens them. By the way, after one, I was like, I'm no longer opening pictures. You are doing it from here on out. And we got this message the other day and there was a picture attached to it. And I was like, oh, fuck, no, I'm not opening that. And Madison's like, oh, my God, I don't want to open it. And it, it came with like a, a generic like like hiking question. Yeah. And so... We, we were, were like, like oh, uh, fuck. so I opened it. It was just like some. It was actually a super cute picture. It was super cute, <laughs> like a guy's kid roasting marshmallows. I'm sure you'll hear this, but we got a little scared. We've been we've been traumatized in recent times, and we were traumatized straight off the bat starting this podcast. I know. Too. It and, was like bang, and it really was. And I will say, it was like that, our fourth DM ever. <laughs> I will say that I have survived the entirety of my life. Without receiving a dick pic. My mom- Until I started this goddamn podcast. Like, Welcome the to the world of the internet, mother. I've only been on social media, you guys, for like four or five years. It was My mother was not a young teenager on the internet and does not we understand. We didn't even have a computer for most of my childhood. I, I just, I survived so long without one. And then like Maddie said, bam. I was like, my eyes. No. Please stop sending us inappropriate photos. Please don't send us any more inappropriate photos. No, we don't want and it. And can social media please do a better job of not having those out there? Of not, like, like 
send me a little thing that says, I think this might be a dick pic. Please open with caution. Like, give me a heads up. Anyway, Maddie's now responsible for opening all social media pictures. My she eyes can have already it. been scarred enough. You guys, she can handle it. I can't handle it. I just can't. I can't handle it. We need to like <laughs> hire somebody to like weed through some of our social media stuff. No, you know what we Hannah. Need? Hannah, you're now in charge of all social we media. We talked about this on hiking with Hannah. Uncomfortable? Um, I would imagine that having sugary water dumped on you would be like because I know like Maybe okay. it just makes it stick more. Well, I watched this one episode of Sex Sent Me to the ER and they poured like a melted giant gummy bear over the girl and it like seared the fuck out of her skin to the point where she had to go to the ER covered in what gummy. What the fuck are you doing? That's so embarrassing. That's so embarrassing, <laughs> by the way, because they thought it would just work like candle wax. No, do not pour molten gummy liquid over yourself apparently so maybe I would pour anything boiling her hot over yourself so I would imagine that Jesus. the um this is just the prison version of well, this well here's the thing this got no the prison version of somebody putting a gummy bear on them Bro, for sex no know. I'm sorry were they this having is my... sex with him after no they beat him with they a beat table the shit out of him okay him. okay but, okay, sorry, oh that God. came out wrong. But I would imagine <laughs> that this would be the same concept of the sugar, hot sugar. I don't know. Yeah, may- maybe it makes it, like, stick. Stick to yeah, you. I don't know. Okay. The hot sugar, I would imagine, <laughs> melts your skin <laughs> more. I don't fucking know. God, he, I'm sorry. I I'm trying to come he, up with real-life sh- solutions. Okay, okay. real-life solutions. He... I can't believe that's a real show. How sex sent me to the ER. Sex sent me to the ER. Never even heard of that. That's so You've funny. never heard. It's like a random show that's on cable. 